Want a podcast of Leslie? It's as easy as going to www.lesliemarshallshow.com. Happy Monday. He is back as well. Olivier Knox, Chief Washington Correspondent for Yahoo News. He also co-hosts Top Line. It's a Yahoo News, ABC News original program. Check it out. Olivier is a friend of the show. I like him personally and professionally. He's covered some of the world's biggest news stories over his nearly 16 years as a reporter with Agence France Press, starting with Bill Clinton's impeachment and Al Gore's presidential campaign. And it's election time again. Olivier, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, indeed. Let's talk about the victory for Hillary in Nevada. Um, mm-hmm. Polls, Real Clear Politics had, you know, I think CNN had a poll, and then Real Clear Politics ended up having her and Bernie right before uh, voting, neck and neck. Uh, they were wrong last time she was in Nevada. They were wrong this time. It's not a huge margin, but this is very different than Iowa, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, it's different on a, on a bunch of different levels. I mean, Nevada polling is not the gold standard of polling, I should start there. Um, and the caucus process is a, is a stra- strange process, much like the Iowa caucus. Um, I thought this was interesting because it uh, sort of affirmed the Hillary Clinton theory of the case, which is to say that, uh, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders is a stronger-than-expected candidate, but one who struggles when he moves beyond his comfort zone, um, one who's going to struggle with larger states with more diverse um, demographics, diverse populations, I should say. Um, so I thought that was interesting. I think uh, going forward, he's going to have the same kinds of problems in other states. I think he's skipping South Carolina outright. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that was, that was a pretty interesting. It was a, it was a very, um, I don't know if it was necessary, but it was a very, very welcome win for the Clinton camp. You probably saw it in the week or so before the, the Nevada caucus. Uh, her campaign aides were trying to play it down. So I think they were pretty happy with what they got. Yeah, especially because it was, what, when 72% of the vote is in, it's not the nail biting. And I was biting my nails. I can't even imagine uh, about <laughs> them because I am a Hillary supporter. I'm very open and uh, out front about that. Um, yeah. I, 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 you know, I was surprised when I saw who came out to vote for who. And I say that because Hillary did overwhelmingly well with women. And that's not been her strong point. <laughs> They've been flocking to Bernie, at least in Iowa and New Hampshire. And Bernie did better with the Hispanic voters than I thought he would have. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's all correct. Um, I think for, for Hillary Clinton, the, the challenge is at least as much generational as anything else. Uh, I think you're seeing her struggle to uh, attract young voters. I think Bernie's, uh, Bernie's passion um, and, his, uh, and his, uh, his outlook uh, and I think his free college proposal – uh, have all generated a lot of traction, a lot of excitement among younger voters. She has more, still has more trouble. She has a lot of ground to make up with them. Uh, no question about it. Um, and I, I'm not sure if I'm not sure if she can. Do you know what I mean? Um, uh, speaking of, there's a lot of talk on the right about Bernie Sanders got arrested. Bernie Sanders didn't have a full, you know paying full-time nine-to-five job until he was mayor, you know, that he was freeloading, you know, they, they, they're saying off the government, but hey, he worked a job and then collected unemployment. This doesn't matter to his supporters, does it? Because nope. the message from then till now, quite frankly, is consistent. He's not being hypocritical. And he had the passion for the same issues back then, uh, you know, when he was fighting against these things as he does now, and he simply just found his niche in a way to get to, to change. 
I am, uh, I'm going to confidently predict that Bernie Sanders supporters don't give a rat's tail what he was doing for a living uh, in, from 1970 to 1974. Um, it, it just has no bearing on, on, his, on his candidacy whatsoever. What's, what's attracting them to Bernie Sanders' candidacy is a decades-old argument about wealth inequality in America. He's been saying this for years and years and years. Uh, I will say for your listeners who haven't followed Bernie as closely as I have as a, being a Vermonter, that he is um, on balance a little bit less radical than he comes across on the, on the presidential campaign trail. He was a very um, pragmatic mayor of Burlington, Vermont's largest city. He worked there with some of the wealthiest developers to achieve what he considered to be progressive goals. Um, but he attracted big business to Burlington. Uh, he was a big economic development guy, not so much a redistribution um, guy. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, none of his none of his supporters are gonna are gonna blink about this stuff. Yeah, I agree. But in a general election, let's talk about that when we come back. We're gonna take a break and uh, talk more about the Dems, but we're gonna talk about the Republicans as well because they're going to Nevada tomorrow, and of course they were in South Carolina when the Democrats were in Nevada. And uh, this is just exciting the next uh, week or so. We're going to talk about this more with our guest and with you. Our guest is Olivier Knox, Chief Washington Correspondent for Yahoo News. If you have a question or comment, pick up the phone and join us, 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. The website for Yahoo is news.yahoo.com. Become Leslie's friend on Facebook. Go to www.facebook.com forward slash Leslie Marshall and join her fan page. We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall, and our guest in this hour back with us is Chief Washington Correspondent for Yahoo News, Olivier Knox. Olivier, so in a general election, will these things of the past, these sins of the past, so to speak, for Bernie Sanders, would that matter if he were the nominee? Sure. I mean, in a general election, you know, every, every, everything you've ever done becomes fair game. Sometimes everything your spouse has done becomes fair game. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know that it would matter necessarily more than... Um, just running an ad in which he repeatedly describes himself as a socialist, um, but uh, but sure, I mean, I guess I guess you could see people uh, uh, mining mining his uh, his younger positions for 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 cannon fodder for political uh, ammunition. I, I guess I could see that. And when we look at what's going to be, you know, happening now, I mean, look, even though Bernie Sanders is doing better in South Carolina than he's done in the past, uh, and whether we want to say there's a firewall or not. Um, Hillary Clinton is definitely got the lead with African-American voters by far. This is a state where African-American voters uh, strength, and certainly if they come out in, in strong numbers, is going to make a difference. And then looking at various polls, of course, you know, <laughs> they change hour to hour, and depending yep. what poll you look at, they're so varied the, you know, nowadays. But it, 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 people are predicting that Bernie's going to take three states on Super Tuesday, and she's going to sweep the rest. So is it over? After next week, I mean, do, do, has the fat lady sung for Senator Sanders after at that point? Well, it's a really good question because you can answer it a couple of different ways. One is just a, a raw delegate count. Um, another, though, and I've been telling, I've been saying this for for a while, so I'm sorry if, if if some of your listeners have heard it before. One of the really interesting things about the Bernie Sanders campaign is that his the bulk of his donors are giving really really small amounts, so he is competitive in fundraising with Hillary Clinton. But his donors can give again and again and again and again, which means that he'll be financially viable pretty much as long as he wants to be. So, um, 
you know, what, what happens, even if she does sweep, you know, run the table, um, he's still going to have been an, an important enough influence in this campaign that he will get uh, a speaking slot at the Democratic National Convention. Um, he will have a, a, a role in shaping the party's future. It'll be greater or smaller, depending on how well he does. Um, I would not say um, that it's over. I think he's going to try to maximize his delegate count because he's, that, that would maximize his clout at the convention. Some people might say, I mean, when you look at this, when it began, it was almost like kumbaya, right, the first debate. And the last debate, I felt, you know, Senator Sanders was right in the face. He was yelling. He was attacking a friendship or the fact that she sought some advice from a former secretary of state in the form of Henry Kissinger, cited some very negative things about Kissinger when we know there are some positive things about Kissinger as well. As a matter of fact, I didn't think Hillary's comeback was strong enough, but she didn't ask me. Um, When we... When we look at the way the party has divided now and the, you know, I'm seeing stuff on Facebook that that they're posting that people in Bernie Sanders camp were chanting speak English to somebody who was translating in Spanish, you know, Spanish for the Hispanic crowd and just more mudslinging from not necessarily the candidates, but from their supporters and from their followers how does, if Hillary becomes a nominee, I hope she will, and I do believe she will when I look at numbers, but how, how does Senator Sanders, not him, get behind her? That's believable. They've always had a certainly cordial, and I think uh, respect and admiration and like of each other. But his supporters, because many of them now are becoming, you know, they're bringing up things like Benghazi. They're bringing up things like emails, which he said nobody gave a damn about. Right, so th- what's changed is that all of a sudden the people in Bernie Sanders' campaign and the people in Hillary Clinton's campaign um, suddenly are taking Bernie Sanders' chances seriously, and that's what's sharpened the tone in the Democratic primary. Um, but I, I, I think uh, two things happen. One is that uh, when, when the Democratic Party has a, uh, a nominee, then Barack Obama comes in off the bench. Now, he's been weighing in periodically and doing so in ways that uh, almost always favor Hillary Clinton, but... Um, he comes in and says, you know, uh, uh, now it's time for the party to unite um, and beat whoever the Republican is in November. That's one thing that happens, and that will help um, rally the Democratic Party. The other thing that happens is the Republicans get a nominee, and all of a sudden it's a general election. And all of a sudden it's no longer uh, Bernie versus Hillary. It's, you know, uh, in, in your scenario, it's Hillary versus somebody else on the other side. And so those two forces, the combination of Barack Obama pulling the party together and then the party sort of naturally pulling together in the face of a, of a general election uh, Republican candidate. I think those are the two ways that the party unites uh, after the nominating fight. Um, I am uh, an alumni undergrad of Northeastern University in Boston, and they made me an ambassador last year. I don't get a check or anything, but I get to do different things and, you know, to help the university and, um, you know, to uh, draw people into the university. And one thing I got to do a few weeks ago is interview former Governor Michael Dukakis, who at 83 years of age is sharper than attack and teaches at UCLA and Northeastern University. And one thing that he said that night that, you know, when I was doing a Q&A with him um, was that people forget, and he knows this having run and failed, um, that this is a 50-state race. Do you think because, you know, there's caucuses and there's primaries that, you know, people lose sight of this and even candidates lose sight of this, voters and candidates? Yeah, I think I – think- um, and the media. I mean, we you know we get buffeted by um, by by results in early voting states as well. I mean, you've seen 
you know, the, the, uh, the punditry um, be very negative for Hillary after, after New Hampshire and be very positive for her after Nevada. Nothing is really, the fundamentals of the race haven't changed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we all forget this. We all forget that this is, um, you know, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's both national and not national, right? It's a, it's a, it's a nationwide contest decided in 50 states. I, I absolutely think that people lose track of that. Um, let's talk about the Republicans. Um, I am a Democrat, but we must. <laughs> we have listeners on both sides of uh, the aisle. Well, well, actually, before we go over to the Republicans, what's the latest Olivier poll-wise as to who has a better chance of beating right now the number one for the you know Republican nominee shot or the slot would be Donald Trump at the moment? Uh, d- does Hillary have a better chance of beating him, or does uh, Senator Sanders, depending on obviously the day in the poll, but as of late? I, 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 was, so I was just going to say, Leslie, that as you pointed out, there's a poll every five minutes. Um, the last ones I actually looked at, I think, had had uh, Bernie running stronger nationally against the Republican, but that's that is just such an abstract. For one thing, it's a national poll, so that's kind of worthless. Um, and for another, it's it's so hypothetical as to be just. It, there's no point in doing this now. There's no point in considering this now. Um, electability, really, th- those, that all changes the minute you become the nominee. Um, so I, I, I would warn listeners away from looking at that particular measure. Uh, let's talk about the Republicans. There's so much going on here. Uh, d- you know, when Donald Trump first threw his hat into the ring, there were a lot of my colleagues who said he's not serious about this, you know, he's the shiny toy, if you will, and, and it's going to fade fast, the fascination. But being in the state of California, where I saw somebody with no experience, who was anti-establishment, become our governor in a recall election, of course, I'm talking about the Terminator himself, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who did a worse job than the guy they recalled, Gray Davis, I know the power of celebrity. Because I live in Los Angeles, and believe me, you know, Hollywood's here. We see it all the time. There are other celebrities that have run because name recognition is numero uno in voters' minds. Sonny Bono, the late Sonny Bono. Al Franken, uh, the guy that played Gopher uh, on the love boat. Um, and Ronald Reagan, obviously. Arnold Schwarzenegger for governor, not, you know, on a federal level. And now Donald Trump. Do, do you think that that cult of personality, that celebrity, is still playing into this? Um, or is it really what he's saying? The exit poll showed in South Carolina, 78% of the people who voted for Trump liked that. He, he calls it like it is. He's a straight shooter. Well, I want to congratulate you for forging bipartisan consensus since uh, Republican House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy just this morning did a round of interviews in which he brought up Arnold Schwarzenegger in every single one to sort of explain the Trump phenomenon. So. You, uh, you, you've at least uh, you've at least overcome the partisan divide in that respect. <laughs> um, of course, the celebrity factor matters. Of course, it still factors into this. Um, he his barriers to entry is, is, are much lower. The, the, he doesn't need to introduce himself as much to the American public. He's already been introduced. Um, that's that's a non-negligible advantage. Now that said, if he had a message that that Republican primary voters didn't like. It wouldn't matter. And the, the analog I would draw here is Jeb Bush. Um, Jeb Bush had a massive uh, campaign war chest. He spent tens of millions. His super PAC spent over $100 million. He was well-known. The problem is his argument did not resonate as much with Republican voters. So it's, it's a combination of the two. 
You have to be well-known uh, or known well, known well enough by the voters, and they have to agree with you. And you can't, I don't think you can, you can separate those two ideas when you're talking about Donald Trump. And let's talk about some of the other players. Trump had said this is a three-man race, and I think some people are asking, who's the third guy? I mean, because it's Trump, it's Cruz, but is it Rubio or is it Kasich? And there are also people, I'm, I'm one of them that believes the Republicans, if they really want, don't want Cruz or Trump, that they need to sit down, have a come-to-Jesus meeting, and say, who's our candidate going to be, Rubio or Kasich? And everybody gets out of the race except that person, and, and they support them. Bush has all the donors since he's out of the race now, uh, write checks for this person, because I think that's the only way uh, at this point, unless Trump really screws up, that Trump won't be their nominee. I was talking to a very, very senior uh, Republican strategist the other day who said yesterday was the best day to take on Donald Trump. Today's slightly worse. Tomorrow will be slightly worse than today. And it keeps going that way. And the reason for that is as he notches victories, he becomes better known to the public. Uh, it changes the perceptions of him among voters. One of the most important numbers when you're talking about Donald Trump is the percentage of Republican voters who say they absolutely will not vote for him. That number was as high as not quite 70% when he announced. It has dropped sharply, um, which is a, a big factor in why he is, uh, well, I would say they've gone beyond taking him seriously now. The Republican establishment is in a, in a state of, of near panic. Um, I don't know how they would do this. I don't know how they would come together. Um, you know, I, I realize that conspiracy theories involving the media and politicians are always out there, but I just don't know how they would come together to, to make this sort of arrangement happen. Um, you know, every, every one of these guys, uh, when, they're, when they're shaving in the morning, they see a, a future president staring back at them in the mirror. Um, it would be hard. That said, Trump gets tougher to beat every day. Um, you mentioned it. Th- I, I don't know if it's a two-man, three-man, four-man race. I don't know. Um, you don't, don't forget Dr. Carson as well, although yep. the, the, the voters seem to have. Um, so I don't know. I don't know yet. I'm, I'm going to wait to see. I mean, obviously, Super Tuesday is around the corner. We're going to know a lot more um, after that. The, the, the problem, though, is it, whether you're in Trump's lane or in the establishment lane, um, the, the, your time's running out. He's getting the delegates. What happens to the Republican Party if Donald Trump becomes their nominee? They will rally behind him, I would imagine. But, I mean, what happens? This is a guy that doesn't seem to have a problem with a general that used pig's blood on bullets and, you know, killed uh, Muslims in the Philippines. Uh, This is a guy who talks about, you know, a Muslim ban, who is called Hispanic men, and he didn't say illegal immigrants, he said Latino uh, men, rapist. I mean, and and God, the way he is, you know, verbally mistreated women. Um, You know, on his third wife, cheated on the first and the second, had a kid (laughs) on wedlock. I mean, the list just goes on. What does this do to the Republican Party if he becomes the nominee? Uh, well, I don't know, uh, in part because I don't know who's going to be the Democratic side, and that matters. Um, you know, I think, uh, so uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy, the House Majority Leader, said this morning he could work with Donald Trump. Um, I think you're seeing some some gnashing of teeth in the Republican establishment about what happens to the party, what happens especially to the down ballot, sort of the, the you know, the, the, House, the House candidates, the uh, gubernatorial candidates, the mayor candidates, and those other candidates like that. What happens to the ticket if Donald Trump is the nominee? Uh, that's been a concern. Um, I'm not. 
I don't know. By the way, that, that story about General Pershing in the Philippines, um, there's no evidence that it actually occurred. So he's not just okay with it. He's, he's okay with a story that may or may not be true in that case. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, if you told me that the Republican frontrunner in 2016 um, uh, was, um, you know, until recently fine with legalized abortion, had been divorced multiple times, um, and uh, and was a New Yorker, I think I would have laughed at you. But I can't laugh anymore. No, 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 you can't. And and also, th- this is a man who who clearly shows he cannot deal with criticism of any kind. And he cannot play nice with others. If, God forbid, he were elected president, what, I mean, any predictions there, Olivier? This guy is not going to be able to work with Congress. Heck, he's not going to be, I don't don't think he'd live in the White House. I don't think he would be able to get along with the staff. I I think every nation in the world might just stop bombing us because, you know, he's just going to piss everyone off. Well, I don't know what he'd want to, I don't know what he's, I guess I should go back and and figure out whether he's made any sort of on day one, I would do X. Um... You know, his, his biggest policy proposals have been the, the ban on Muslim immigration, um, which, depending on which day you ask his campaign, is either, uh, you know, a, a full outright ban or something short of it. It's, it's, a, little, it's, it's a little bit muddled. Um, uh, and the, the wall on the U.S.-Mexico border, um, I don't know. I mean, what he would want to do would, would certainly decide how he would work with Congress. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, does he does he come in with a with a tax plan that is Republican friendly? I don't know. Um, it would certainly be uh, it would certainly be interesting to cover. I'll tell you that. Um, that's the uh, the reporter and me uh, talking, of course. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I I can't figure out. I mean, you remember this is a guy who spent a lot of time on the birther bandwagon, right? Trying to yep. suggest that President Obama was was uh, born overseas and neither were not eligible to be president. Um, so I, I, I guess I have to take him at his word at this point when he says this stuff. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I'm obviously at a loss for trying to predict. I mean, I would, <laughs> I would have to volunteer to be secretary of fun in the, in the, in the Trump administration. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, we love having you on, Olivier. Thank you for taking the time. Always great to read your writings. And, uh, hey, congrats on the uh, other gig, co-hosting Top Line. It is a great program, folks. Check it out. It's the Yahoo News ABC News original program. It's called Top Line. Uh, to follow Olivier on Twitter, at O-K-N-O-X, O-K-N-O-X, and the website for Yahoo is news.yahoo.com. You've been listening to Chief Washington Correspondent for Yahoo News, Olivier Knox. I'm Leslie Marshall, coming up live from our nation's capital, Talk Media News. Don't go away. Leslie Marshall, when the truth matters. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. 